Amen. Great opportunity to uh, go and to minister to those uh, who will be able to minister to others as well. Uh, that's that's uh, when I, Keith talked to me about uh, the opportunity to do that. I was excited right away um, because uh, it it really blesses my heart. The idea, I mean, obviously that's why you know I I preach the gospel and that's why I pastor and and I'm more of a teaching pastor. Is that my call, my desire, my goal, uh, my hope is that as the Lord pours into me and as I pursue after him and as I study scripture and, and hopefully um, gain understanding uh, through the spirit and, and, and through study, that I would be able to, to share that just like you should be doing. And uh, one thing that Keith said that I'll absolutely echo is that I think oftentimes, especially in Western Christianity and the Western mindset, that we have the idea that that teaching and training and proclaiming and pursuing after people or things like that is a is a profession. We've made it into a profession, and that you know, I we have the idea oftentimes, and I hope you don't, but but many have the idea that that as a Christian, it's Christianity is mainly made up of consumers or an audience that is just being entertained or being you know being blessed or something along that line but listen the 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 objective of the church is not to entertain you it's not to uh, simply bless you but it's to train you to train you, and if that's not happening, then either I'm not doing my job, or you're not doing your job. Either I'm not giving you the tools for you to be equipped to go out there to do the work of the ministry, or I'm giving them out, and you're not picking them up, one of the two, and so I would really encourage you, and maybe, you know, uh, missions uh, isn't your forte. Maybe that's not your gifting. Maybe that's not your calling. I, you know, I get that. Not everybody's a preacher or a teacher either. Um, but I know that God has faithfully equipped you and he has given you gifts. He has prepared you for a ministry. We are all ministers of reconciliation. We are all ambassadors of Christ. And so whether that would be a mission trip to Kenya or whether that would be evangelizing in your own home or in your workplace or maybe you're a prayer warrior and you can continually be on your face and, and seeking God for the equipping of the church or for those who are hurting and, and lost and in pain around you. I don't know what it is, but find whatever it is that God has for you and let's commit to that and let's pursue after God that he might show us more clearly where we are to go and what we are to do. Because I'm telling you right now, there is no greater place to live, <clears throat> there is no greater place to be than right in the middle of your purpose and calling. That's where you need to be uh, because there's where you can feel joy and that passion can have its way with you and that passion can be on Jesus Christ and what he is using you for. It's, it's, it's a huge blessing. So happy new, year. happy new Year. I'm excited to be here and being able to preach on, on New Year's Day. That's, that's awesome. And I'm, you know, I was talking to Heather, you know, about today's message, and I think I say this about every time a holiday falls or a, a time of year where we celebrate falls on a Sunday, you know, I'm in that bind. Am I supposed to preach because it's New Year's? Am I obligated to preach a New Year's sermon? You know, am I obligated to preach a Christmas sermon? Am I obligated to preach a Father's Day sermon? <clears throat> and a lot of the times, I, I don't feel obligated, by the way. I don't, I don't. Uh, I have to follow the Holy Spirit. And if he gives me something, that's what I'm going to preach. But oftentimes, uh, I think God's perfectly fine with me using the opportunity. It's on everybody's mind uh, to share what's on my heart. And today I do have a uh, message that is about not necessarily explicitly New Year's, but about new things, about new beginnings. And uh, I know it's, uh, it, it was confirmed to me anyway. I already felt in my spirit and uh, in my mind that it was from the Lord, but uh, one of my primary texts is Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, <laughs> that <clears throat> Matt already shared, so I won't even have to read that one. Now. Um, so praise the Lord for that. Uh, but today's message, today's sermon is entitled, New Trees, New Trees. And uh, you'll kind of understand, uh, hopefully, here in just a minute, 
why I chose the title New Trees. But I want to talk to you about <clears throat> New Year's Day. And, and I know that this is a concept that we all kind of joke about and we go on about. And we, um, you know, we say things, I just heard it earlier, about making resolutions, New Year's resolutions that we stick with for a day, a week, a month, maybe, if we're doing really good. And then they're gone like fleeting wind, you know. We, I'm going to go to the gym three days a week, every week for this entire year, starting in four weeks. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, we do that. And I, um, I don't know if Chris is here today, but I go down to Dinobody, and Chris Cochran is a good friend of mine, and, and I was talking to him about it. And I think it's a fairly um, consistent fact that New Year's Day, New Year's time is one of the best times of year for gyms because the memberships go through the roof. But nobody wears the equipment out because nobody's actually coming. <laughs> so it's just free money. Um, so we, you know, we kind of laugh and we go on about that. But how many of you, let me see, by show of hands and not by pointing of fingers, how many of you in here has, have made a New Year's resolution sometime in your life? Right? Pretty much all of us. You know, we've made New Year's resolutions. Now, how many of you have made those resolutions and you uh, failed miserably fairly soon after you made them? Yeah? Is there anyone in the room who made a resolution and you're still doing it to this day? One, two, t three? Three liars in the congregation. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, it's fairly hard to uh, decide to do something new and then just straight commit to it, isn't it? It's really hard to do that. It's possible. Uh, I think all the scientific research, you know, I, I, it's not exact, but the consensus generally seems to be that if you begin a new routine or you implement something new within your life and you are faithful to that routine, for around 21 days, I've read different studies that say longer, but 21 is about the minimum that I've seen that you need to do something a minimum of about 21 days in a row to condition your mind, to get your mind to the place where it becomes habit. It becomes really muscle memory. It becomes something that you are automatically assuming in your subconscious even that you're going to do this today. You're going to enter into this activity. And, and those things you find yourself doing, and you didn't realize that, that you were doing it. It wasn't as if you had to intentionally say, okay, Brennan, right now is the time that we're going to do X. Think about it this way. Food. Now, you intentionally think about eating, but you don't, you don't have to... <clears throat> you don't have to um, talk yourself into to, to eating, right? You don't have to talk yourself into going and getting some food. And you might say to me, well, that's because your body has to have food to survive. Yeah, but not that much, <laughs> right? Some of us are conditioned, and um, I, this may be a half confession because I've put on about 15. Don't shake your head, Matt. I know that I've gained. I'm trying, bro, okay? Part of my New Year's resolution, you didn't have to do that. Some of us are, have conditioned ourselves with a doggone 21-day commitment to eat ice cream about 10.30 p.m. every night. And I'm telling you right now, if 10.34 rolls around and you ain't had your uh, whatever it might be, whatever you like, I like some cookies and cream, you know, that's good, that's, that's Asher's favorite. 10.34 rolls around, old Billy's like, what's up up there? <laughs> Hook it up, you know? And, and you just find yourself, you ever just found yourself, hey, the men in the room I know, and don't you lie to me. Your resolution was not to lie this year, and we're only a few hours in. How many of you have ever found yourself, men, women, women too, I guess, but men, I know, how many of you found yourself standing in front of the refrigerator with both doors, or if it's one door, with the door open, looking in just like this, and you didn't even, you just woke up. What am I doing here? How many of you have done that before? Yeah, your feet carried you to where your 
body wanted you to be and your mind wanted you to be. You didn't intentionally say, hey, let's walk to the refrigerator. You just found yourself standing there. You wouldn't sleepwalking. You just got such a habit. You've got such a place for that in your being and in your soul. And there's all kind of really cool and interesting psychology surrounding that too, different theories and whatnot. It's very interesting. And some people suggest that uh, we actually, through all of these habits, and it's funny how this works, is that <clears throat> some of the things that we do physically, we don't realize it, but they're fulfilling great, great, great needs, or at least it's an attempt to do so. And so you've ever heard the old adage, comfort food? There's actually psychology behind that, that when, you know, maybe it's one point when you're, when you were down and you had a big, you know, incident, incident in your life and, you know, you went to the, you know, ice cream shop with your dad or whatever, and it made you feel better. And in your mind, somewhere in your being, it associated those two together. And now that's where you go for peace. And we don't, we, we, you know, nobody likes to talk about gluttony, right? You know, nobody wants to, that's not a real sin. Let's talk about drunkenness or something, you know what I'm saying? Get off of me. But, but at the end of the day, if your food intake is fulfilling what Jesus is supposed to be fulfilling, man, we're in trouble. Because not only is it destroying our bodies, but it's also robbing us of the opportunity to get our peace from where it should come from, Right? And the same is true with so many addictive behaviors. Because the only, the, the only difference between a good habit and a bad addiction is that where is the motivation? What is the, what's the foundation of why you do that thing, right? And so we have to be careful of those things. So we want to talk a little bit about that, that today. And, and today's sermon is New Trees. And I want to explain to you why I picked that title here in just a minute. But let's pray, and then we're going to read some scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to minister to my friends and my brothers and sisters and to have them minister to me, God. It is such a blessing uh, to see them soaking up your word and to be able to engage with them and to interact with them uh, in your word and with your word, God. Your word is so magnificent. It is breathed out by you. It is inspired by you. And I'm so thankful that you gave us this, uh, this magnificent living document that we can engage with you that we can hear from you lord that we can uh, have our souls blessed and uh, our souls trimmed and honed in that we can sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron that is that it is good for training in righteousness but also for rebuke god it is good uh, in every single way and it is complete it's sufficient that we might be equipped uh, for every good work thank you for your word Thank you, God, for these who have come to hear. Uh, I thank you, God, that, um, that you have equipped us with the Spirit as well, that you have filled us up full, those of us who have believed. And I pray, Lord, today that we would not be hearers only, but that we would be doers of the Word. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so new trees. What in the world? New trees. Well, uh, let me, uh, if you would, stand to your feet for the reading and the hearing of God's Word. And, and let me read one of the primary texts today. But I have several different texts for us, um, but uh, Isaiah 43 is a great place to start. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, which I think are the very ver verses that you read. Uh, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 say this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, in rivers, in the desert. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So just a few points today that uh, I hope engage your mind to think about your life, to think about Christ and how you interact with Christ and, and how your life's going. You know, I think it's really good for us to take stock of, of what we're doing, how we're doing it, how much time we spend doing this or that. Uh, that we examine our priorities, you know, that we ask ourselves, okay, Brennan, what did you accomplish last year? What were your focuses? What were your priorities? Uh, do those need to be shifted and changed? How can you do that? Uh, what can you do better this year than you did last year? And what's the primary way that that's going to happen? I think we need to examine ourselves spiritually. 
Have I been in God's word? Have I been praying and seeking God and asking him not just for the things I want, but asking him to show me himself or to lead me to better places that I might love my wife better, that I might love my husband better, whatever it might be, that we should be examining ourselves. And this is a great time of year to do it. You're kind of preconditioned for that, right? And so let's take stock of that. I would even suggest maybe grabbing a journal and uh, putting down some notes on paper and not just seeing how successful you were, gauging uh, what your um, victories were, but assessing what, what, did I, what, were, what was I engaged in that I just don't feel like I should have been engaged in. Maybe that was something awful. You know, Maybe it was something that was sinful, and you need to confess that to the Lord and place that at the foot of the altar and, 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 and allow Christ to uh, help you overcome that. But maybe it was something that wasn't really all that bad. It just took the place of something that was great. You know, did you put good things before great things? And maybe it was is that you didn't need to do away with the good thing altogether, but you just needed to cut back and spend less time on the good thing so that you could spend more time on the great thing. Does that make sense? You know, just efficiency. And I think that we should consider that about ourselves. And I'm one of the worst about um, being organized and making sure my efficiency is just streamlined. That's a struggle for me. I have to continually, day by day, ask the Lord, Lord God, help me not go crazy today. I have to ask the Lord, will you please remind me what I need to do today? And uh, I'm sure he never fails, so sometimes I don't even listen to the reminder. It's like I hit snooze on God, right? I think we have to continually, day by day, pursue after a right understanding, a clear vision, a clear um, a, a clear understanding of what God's asking us to do and then following through with that. We have to follow through with it. So the text that we have here, uh, Isaiah 43, uh, it's really awesome because this text really relates to the Hebrews study that we've been doing. If you remember in Hebrews uh, that it quoted from Isaiah the new covenant which was coming. And uh, the author of Hebrews tells us that when the new came, it swallowed up the old. It didn't, in contrast to the old covenant, it didn't uh, speak of the old covenant as if it was evil or as if it was wrong or it, it, as if it had problems like that, just that the old covenant wasn't meant for certain things. The old covenant wasn't meant to make people new. It was meant to drive people to the place and to the one that could make them new. And so Jesus is the one who makes them new. And the reason I point that out is because in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, that's what he's looking out toward. Now, there were some new things, physically speaking, even on the horizon uh, for Israel. I mean, we're going to go back and talk here in just a minute about uh, their escape from Egypt and one of the new times, the new years that had to do with uh, the Passover and uh, the exodus from, from Egypt. And so it's not as if this verse in the Old Testament has no application in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament in that day, but that it was ultimately fulfilled and, and it is ultimately applicable to every human being uh, on the face of the planet that would confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that he would be the way that they enter into relationship with God. And it wouldn't be based on your performance or your works that, that you got to remain and retain your membership or your citizenship in the community of God's people or in, in the kingdom of God. And so I want to talk to you about New Year's and the biblical perspective on New Year's. Have you ever asked this question? Is New Year's Eve, is New Year's Day, is New Year's a concept that is biblical? You know, we just kind of go through the motion, don't we? We just kind of go through the cultural routine without really asking the question, is it biblical or at least is it, is it precedented in the Bible that I would celebrate New Year's Day, you know, without just it being a passing um, tradition or uh, just a, a, a passing or fleeting recognition of some type of cultural holiday. Well, I, I don't know if you've ever looked into it, but uh, New Year's is, is actually a very biblical concept, but in a little bit different way. The, the biblical concept of New Year's is a lot different than the Western cultural understanding of New Year's. Now, 
I'm, I'm not saying that to say that the Western concept of New Year's is an inherently sinful thing or an evil thing or anything like that, but that uh, I think if we understand the biblical concept or perspective or principles surrounding New Year's, that it would help us as we celebrate New Year's and New Year's Eve and how we think about it, how we make our resolutions, because I don't think that's a bad thing. I think any time that you could uh, be in a place where you're encouraged or that you are spurred to change for the positive, to change for the better, I think it's a good thing, right? I think we need to take advantage of it. Take advantage of every opportunity that you could take to make yourself better, to pursue after God, that he would make you better, that he would mold you and shape you and chisel away the bad parts that you could be better for Christ, more in love with Christ. I think, that, I think that's a good thing. But let me talk a little bit about uh, the, the Jewish concept of New Year's. Now, I'm not an expert in this, and actually I meant to uh, talk to Justin and Victoria about possibly helping me with the, um, the uh, way that some of these words are said. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. I'm sure I'll murder it. But Anyway, I, I've learned uh, very interestingly that the Jew, that the Jews, the Jewish community, um, Israel, actually had four New Years. There were four New Years. Now you say, "Well, hold on a minute. That doesn't make any sense. How can there be four New Years when there's only one calendar year?" Right? That's what I would immediately be saying. Well, the reason that they can have four when there's only really one calendar year is the concept of New Year. Now, I think this will be, I, I hope, hoping that this will all come around and, and it'll make sense to you when I get finished. But the concept of what a New Year is in a Jewish mindset and in a Jewish culture is a lot different than in a Western mindset and in a Western culture. And this was really fascinating to me because... I believe that the Jewish mindset and the culture is just a lot different psychologically and philosophically to some degree than is our modern day, and I don't mean the crazy world, but even our modern day church, our modern day Western mind. And the Western mind trying to understand the concepts of God as opposed to or at least in contrast with the Jewish mind and the way it understands the concepts of God. And I don't mean just Jews who don't believe or Orthodox Judaism, but even um, Messianic Jews who do recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That the way that their mind comprehends things is a little bit different a lot of the times. So in the Jewish New Year, I, I'll tell you that there's four of them. I'll give you the four right quick, and then we'll come back and talk about the way that these years uh, work and how they are understood and the concepts behind them. So first is, and these aren't in any necessary order, although I, I, see, I think I see an order, but here's how I would lay it out. There's four new years that are recognized in uh, the Jewish community. One is first Tishri. Is that right? Tishri. First Tishri. Now, the, the exact dates of these kind of vary a little bit, but it's at differing times of the year. Um, one's in March, one's in September. Um, it's, it's at differing times of the year. Uh, first Tishri, and this is a new year for seasons. This would be closest related, the one that closest relates to our calendar year. So this would be <clears throat> the new year as they see a new calendar year rolling over. This one is uh, a lot of the times how they base their giving and their tithing and, and the way that they operate in, in almost like a fiscal year. So we can think about it that way, which there's another one that's related to tithing as well. But this is more, as far as I can understand, more like our calendar year, how you would like plan events and, and things like that. And then next we have First Nissan. Is that right? First Nissan. And now this is the most recognized and the, the most... Uh, prevalent or the, I guess you would say the most special or the most holy uh, of the New Year's that they recognize and celebrate. And this is the New Year for or the New Year of Redemption. And this is closely related to all religious activity. 
uh, the Passover feasts and festivals go off of this new year and off of this, this season or calendar or whatever you want to call it. So this first Nissan is the new year of redemption, and it's a kind of a new year of mercy or a new year of redemption. So first Tishri is a new year for seasons, a kind of calendar year. First Nissan is a new year for redemption or a kind of a, a, a new mercy year or, or a mercy granting year. It's almost like a second chance. Then you have uh, 15 of Shavat, which is the new year for trees. New year for trees. And you say, that's really odd. New year, what does that even mean? A new year for trees. Think of it almost as a a new a, a a rolling over of harvest, uh, the new growth, and when it's ready, it's a it's a new year of trees. Or uh, you might understand it better this way. I think it helped me. A new year of fruit, which is blessedness, uh, sustenance, um, uh, expanse. It's this new year of fruit, new year of blessing, new year of trees. So a lot of the produce and a lot of the viability came from uh, grove trees, whether it be nut trees or um, fruit trees, maybe apple trees or whatever, fig trees, and that they would plant these trees and that there was a cycle. There was a way that these trees uh, grew and not until a certain point were those, were those, would those trees be ready to harvest and to enjoy the fruit and the blessing that would come from that tree. And then the last one is first Elul. Elul. New year for ca- the, the new year for the cattle tithe. Okay? The new year for the cattle tithe. Now, I didn't study this uh, super extensively, um, but I just thought it was pretty, pretty interesting and, and fairly fascinating. It, this is a kind of... Uh, New newness or a new year of the cattle tithe being a new, uh, a kind of new year of giving your best. Think about it this way, that the cattle, this was a agricultural based culture, community, right? The ox was a staple. It was a key feature uh, to the way of life for Israel, for the Jews. Uh, oxen, um, these, these, this cattle, they were the lifeblood in many ways of the culture of the Jews. And, and when you have this new year of the cattle tithe, it was to say that all of our livelihood is, it, it depends on God. And, and we believe that to the degree that we are tithing out of our best and our most Sacred, our mo- I don't want to say sacred, our, our most viable, our most precious commodity, our most precious asset, the thing that is the lifeblood. And so we trust God more than even this thing, and we're going to give our highest and our best. And, and you can think of that new year as kind of a, a, a priority check, a reset for priorities, or making sure that you're not depending on yourself but that you're depending on God. How many of us ever get into a situation to where we think, if I could only provide enough money for myself and my family, then I would be okay? And the problem with that is, is that we're trusting our ability to, uh, to gain or to acquire resources that would sustain us through the long haul. But the problem with that is, is that resources fail and fade. And the crazy thing is, is that if this last year has taught us anything, is that you cannot depend on the value of a dollar. And I'm not even being funny. A dollar today was not worth what it was a year ago, right? And you go back in time, and even in the early uh 20th century and, and, and back, you see the, the value of a dollar fluctuating. You see it going up. You see it going down. You see all of this uh, inflation and all this. I'm not going to get into all that. But my point is, is that you can't trust money. You can't trust resources. You can't trust uh, making your own way. You must rely and depend on God to grant you and to give you what you need when you need it. Now, money's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. 
I hope that all of you get filthy, stinking rich, but that you're not so selfish you won't let people be blessed by your wealth and by your provision. The Bible tells us very clearly that the city is blessed when the believers are blessed. When the people of God are blessed, the city rejoices. Why? It's because the people of God should be able to handle great wealth without becoming greedy and storing it all up where moths can get to it and where fire can burn it, where thieves can steal it, right? I'm not against money. What I'm telling you is, is that if you put your trust in money, you're going to be uh, you're going to be absolutely devastated every single time. And this New Year celebration is this idea of it doesn't matter how many cattle we've got, we better give God all the glory because it's not depend our sustenance is not dependent on the cattle, it's dependent on God. So we're going to kill this cow to recognize that God's the one getting us through, right? And so we give and we grant. And also that cattle tithe can really be tied to um, helping, pouring into, and blessing. And if you'll remember my uh, sermon a while back, I think going through the book of Galatians, that the tithe in the Old Testament is a lot different than most modern Christians that I know, the concept that they have, right? It's that they, they, we tend to think in a modern society, in a modern church, Western church, that the tithe is something that we're obligated to, to give into God's house, to you know, bless this person, bless that person, and to um, secure blessings for ourselves. But in the Old Testament, the tithe was what? Well, it was really minimum of like 27%. So if you want to obligate yourself to a tithe, let's get our numbers right. <laughs> but it was a matter of the heart. It was a matter of the heart. It was to show your faithfulness to God that you trusted God more than you trusted money. But the specific applicable use of the tithe was for, it was really a, it was a really a government funding thing, in, in, in a manner of speaking. It, it funded the, the uh, governing bodies, as it were, of Israel. That, that tithe went into the storehouses. It went into, it was the social program. You've got to understand, in Israel, there was no government. God was the government, and his priests, and his people, and those who were called by him, they saw to the needs of the poor. They saw to the needs of the community. They, they saw to the sinful issues, and, and they dealt with criminal issues. You see, oh, man, I'm going to get on a pedestal here. I don't need to do that. We've handed this stuff over to government, and government ain't worth a darn. They really ain't. I'm not even being facetious. They're really not. I mean, look how they just jack everything up. They're terrible at everything. Horrible. They're horrible at managing money. They're horrible at using money. They're horrible at efficiency. They're horrible at actually helping people. As a matter of fact, I'm getting on this thing, but I'm going to say just one more thing. Is this, is that I can, listen, if you, I, the governmental programs such as um, the welfare program and all this kind of stuff, they literally incentivize unbiblical movements when you got a woman and you tell her I'll give you money for every child you have if you'll get rid of the man what do you think's gonna happen anyway anyway the ch my point in that is is that maybe this needs to be a new resolution of the church that we'll see to the needs of our own thank you very much get on up out of my business right and we'll 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 do our own thing but anyway we have these new years, right? This was an odd concept. Who, who thinks that's an odd concept to have four new years in your uh, everyday routine, right? Well, the reason that we think it's odd and, and that we, you know, it's, well, that's really different, is that Western minds and modern minds tend to think in linear uh, aspects or linear understandings, meaning that we see the calendar year going from January 1st to December 31st, and that's a year. And that's all a year can really be you know so how can you be but when you think of a jewish mindset a jewish concept that it's oftentimes uh, an understanding that an understanding that operates in cyclical fashions it's this and this is what newness is to them it's not like well i've done it this way now i've got to start something new it's this way no it's more like well this is how we've been doing it but here's an opportunity to do it again better right so that, it's overwhelming to think, well, I've done one year, now I have to do a whole nother year and find all these new things to do. 
But what if we had in our mind that, well, this year is complete, and I'm going to do the same thing next year. I mean, how many of you are going to change everything about your life? You know, you're moving, moving to Kenya, learning a new language, getting rid of all your clothes. You know, you're not going to do that, right, for the most part. You're going to get to the, we're at the end of this year. Actually, we're at the beginning of next year. What if you said, okay, I learned from that last year what I did right and what I did wrong. Now I'm going to go right back through that cycle in many ways, and I'm going to give newness and new meaning through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to redeem these things as I come back around them. And I've got experience doing that thing one time before. And maybe you've got experience that says you don't need to do that thing anymore. Maybe you've got experience that says that that thing that I didn't do quite well enough, I'm going to do it better this year. You know what, gentlemen? Praise the Lord for that. You have another shot at her birthday. <laughs> Brandon needed to hear that, right? You have another shot at whatever. You have another shot at being healthy, whatever. And so the <clears throat> Jewish mindset oftentimes thinks of it that way. Think of death and rebirth, death and rebirth. A seed has to go into the ground so that the plant can, can come back out of the ground. And so <clears throat> I want you to I want to recap those. Though, so first, Tishri was New Year for seasons. Think about death and rebirth, the season. That's what winter and spring and summer. So winter, fall, spring, and summer. That's this, or fall, winter, spring, and summer. It's kind of this, this thing where everything dies, right? In the wintertime, you're riding around, and it's like, oh, my gosh, you know. That's why there's so much depression in the, in the wintertime. It's just a, ugh, you know. And so, and it's beautiful at times, right? And it's snowy on the ground, but then that snow gets nasty and muddy and slushy. And it's just like, oh, this looks like death. It's de but then the spring comes. And, and who in here loves spring? Oh, I love spring. I love spring. And we can, we can appreciate fall, too, because this is, I think this is God's love language. You know, the, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Right? And the sky, the sky. The sky shows his handiwork. You know, it's this amazing picture that God demonstrates who he is through not just the seasons, but through all things in nature. And so we see that fall and winter, I think, can be celebrated because those things that, that are used up, those things that shouldn't be there, they, are, they die and they go away. They go into the ground. But then, man, when the spring comes and those flower, those new buds pop out of the ground and the and the roses and the <clears throat> and the azaleas and the dogwood all these things start blooming and popping out isn't it beautiful and it makes you think of life and it makes you think of of newness and 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 uh, regeneration and so you have that death and rebirth and then you have uh first nissan which is, which is this kind of new year of second chances and redemption and it's so beautiful and then 15, Shavat is this new year of for trees, or think about it as fruit and blessing and wonder and, and sustenance and sustaining. How many of you would love to have a new year of fruit and sustaining, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be nice? What if we, what if we had the last one, first Elul? This is a new year for the cattle tie, the kind of of. of New year of giving your very best. What if we had a year where we said, you know what, I'm going to put the first things first, and I'm not going to put those things that aren't a priority as if they are a priority. What if this new year, let's think about how those two would relate to one another. I heard this thing, and I don't even know who it was, so I'm not um, recommending anyone. But I heard this guy giving a message. I didn't see his face. It was actually just one of those little uh, reels or whatever. And this voice came on. It was a little video. It had nothing to do with the voice. And he said, <clears throat> he said, women are meant to be, um, men, women were created by God to be an incubator. And I thought, oh, this guy's in, this guy's in trouble. <laughs> so it's not me saying this. It's him. But listen to the point. Listen to the point. I thought, I thought, hmm, I might do a little bit of digging on that. I might have to preach that if I, if I think I can handle it. So women were created by God to be incubators. He said, you give her something and she's going to incubate it and she's going to give it back to you multiplied. I said, all right, all right, what, what else you got? He said, think about it. He said, if you, uh, if you give a, a woman sperm or if you give her seed, she multiplies it, she gives you back a baby. He said, if you give a woman uh, a house, she'll multiply it, she'll incubate it, she'll give back a home. He said, if you, give, you bring home, you give a woman groceries, she she uh, incubates it, she multiplies it, she gives you a meal. 
And then he ended with this. He said, and if you give a woman frustration, <laughs> she'll incubate that and, well, you know, the rest is history. The point is, how do, those, how do those two concepts of those two New Year's, how might they relate to one another? What if I made a decision through the, through the leading of the Spirit, and, and he enabled me to do it, actually, and he carried me through it, and the Spirit, the Spirit held my hand to the plow, right? And, and I decided and, and was led by God and, and, and enabled by God and, and kept by God to make the first things first, to invest where it really matters. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about investing emotionally into my wife paying attention to the things that she cares about and meeting those little needs that I may think silly, which is okay because I'm built different than her. If I, if I thought exactly like her, then I would need therapy, right? <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't need therapy. No. <laughs> but I'm not a woman. So if I thought like a woman, if, if, every, my, if every thought that I had was like a woman's thought, then there would something be wrong with me and vice versa. If you ladies out there, if you think just like a man, act like a man, well, then we got, we got a problem, right? But what if I really put the first things first, and I put the best first, and I sacrifice that which was most significant to me to God? What if I sacrifice that on the altar of Christ, on the altar of God, in pursuing after him and giving my best to him and, and therefore giving my best to my wife and my best to my kids and my best to you as my church family and those who are under my care. What if I sacrifice those hours of TV or those hours of whatever? that I, What if I sacrifice the right way, the best way, the most efficient way? Do you think it were, would return fruit? Oh, man, you better believe it. The more seed you plant, the more tilling you do, the more, the more nutrients you put into the soil, is your tree going to be more healthy? Is it, is it going to produce a better harvest? Are you going to have fruit that is so uh, thick on the branches that it makes the branches lean down like that where they're almost about to snap? But you know what? These branches are under a whole lot of weight, but you know what it makes it easy for? It makes it easy for those who are shorter and more immature to come by and pick a good piece of fruit and enjoy it. What if I was to make the first things first and not let the last things become first? Do you think that fruit would abound? Oh, absolutely. Do you think that redemption would abound? Oh, you better believe it. What if I pressed into Jesus Christ and the redemption that he is? Do you think that I would be able to then give my best to God and then vicariously more fruit would come because of the work that God's doing in my life? Oh, you better believe it. So you see, this is this kind of cyclical thing. Uh, there was an author that said this. He said, the eternity cycles were eclipsed the moment when mankind's struggle to overcome sin met God's goodness and redemptive plan to restore all things in Christ. This idea of um, this, these cycles, these cycles in which you have to work really hard the next year to do it better and, and you have to do it work. This, this is swallowed up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this. The cycles are death and rebirth, second chances or redemption, new fruit, and the resetting of priorities. You see, Jesus Christ died so that, that we might die to sin. Jesus Christ rose from the grave that we might be set free to life and that we might be given new life, raising and being raised uh, from our deadness, from our flesh, into the newness of life, into spiritual life. So he is the death and resurrection. He is the death and the rebirth. And how does that work for us? It's through the redemption of Jesus Christ. It's through the second chance that we're granted through the work of Jesus Christ that we can be made new. In Jesus Christ, we have a second chance, guys. 
We have newness. We have an opportunity not just to say, oh, good, I don't have to go to hell when I die. No, we have a chance in Christ for today to be the day of salvation and salvation to be a, an intentional, ongoing, everyday thing that you are saved from yourself every minute of every day. Now, do I believe that in the perseverance of the saints that you're saved once for all time? Well, obviously I do. You've heard me preach enough. But I also believe that that salvation that was once for all time is a daily thing that's reoccurring in your life. And you're being saved day after day after day after day after day. Not that you, you know, need to be saved because you're not actually saved. No, it's because this salvation is alive. And it's having its way with you every single day. As you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, and as Paul says, as you mortify the flesh. Why do you need to mortify the flesh if you're already saved? It's because we die daily. That's what it says. And Paul says, I beat my body and I'm making my slave. So after having preached the gospel, I won't lose sight of it. I won't lose the benefit of it myself and have run in vain. He says, I'm going after it. I'm getting after it. Now, if anybody was saved, Paul is saved. Why does he say we got to get after this? Why does Paul say that he is faithful and just? Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul say to uh, seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God at work and you both are willing to work for his good pleasure? Why do we have to continue to do this if it's already done? It's because this salvation, this redemption, this second chance, they happen moment by moment. It's not even daily. It's minute by minute. It's second by second. It's breath. Every time you take a breath, it was God who was sustaining you and giving you new life the next moment. How blessed is that, is that God is working in your life every minute of every day. How many of you have seen that thing? Now, I'm not preaching this as an exegetical point in my sermon, but I thought it was very interesting, and it seemed to have a little, little, little bit of teeth to it. How many of you have seen the breakdown of the, um, the YHWH, the Yahweh, and it being the breathing of God? Who has seen that? Now, again, I'm not making an exegetical point here, but I thought it was a fantastic point. And even if they're wrong about that specific word, they're right in the concept. Is that every, when you say, so nobody knows how to really pronounce that name. It's YHWH. It doesn't have any vowels. It doesn't have any vowels that we can, so we add in the A's because we borrow those from other names of God. And so in that transliteration, we get Yahweh, right? Yah, Yahweh. That's the only best we can do. Jehovah also is a... Yahweh and Jehovah is the same thing, just a different way to transliterate. But he said this, is that every, when you say the word Yahweh, it's, it's, really, it's really reminding you of your breathing in and out. It's like, Yahweh. And I just thought, well, that's a really good trick, or that's pretty cool. Point is this, is that every time you take a breath, you acknowledge it's Jesus, it's God who is sustaining you in that very moment right and I thought you know what even if that's just silliness even if it's just mind games the fact of the matter is is that that is exactly right because he is the one that gives you breath in your lungs and every breath that you take is a recognition and an acknowledgement even if you're unaware of it that God is real and that he is here right now and that he is blessing us and moving us and leading us so the last couple of verses and I'll be done 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, For, uh, sorry, uh, Therefore, if any is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see this great big sweeping, shoom, this newness that's brought in Christ, that we don't have to sweat the stuff that's behind us. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the upward calling God. It's this idea that those who are in Christ, the old is gone, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Praise God, somebody. Is that exciting? We don't have to deal with and we don't have to, to be married to, we don't have to be defeated by the mistakes that we made yesterday. Now, it may be very well applicable and it may, it may be very well a reality that you have to deal with some ongoing consequences of your actions yesterday. Becoming one with Jesus, getting saved doesn't mean that it's a get-out-of-jail-free card and all your debts canceled, you know, your marriage is magically okay. No, it just means that now you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and you're not locked down 
and you're not on uh, death row because of those things. You know, those things don't define you anymore. That's what Paul means when he says, forgetting the things behind, I press on toward the upward call. He's not saying literally just abandon all of your obligations, abandon all the consequences. No, if you're in prison and you get saved, the, the judge doesn't come in or the warden doesn't come in and say, I heard you got saved today, John. Yeah, the Lord saved me. All right, well, you, I know you're supposed to be in here another 35 years, but hey, let's go, brother. Let's get it. Uh, Keith, would that work? You're a judge. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way, but you know what? It means that that prisoner who's serving maybe a 50-year life sentence because he did some horrible, horrible, horrible crime when he gets saved, that that man's dead that kills. And now the one that is used as a vessel to give life is born. And he's not, he doesn't have to live defined by his past mistakes. But he gets to live in the reality and with a new identity that he is a new creation in Jesus Christ. And then the last verse is, you can come on up, man. I'm done. The last verse is, is this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, says this. So we do, now listen, I want to give this to you as <clears throat> motivation, encouragement. Because, man, I hate it when, and even my sermons, I hate it when, you know, we give these sermons, and, and hopefully you got some good information today, and it helps you to understand better about God and what he's calling you to but what I, want, what I don't want to do is to, to preach this sermon and be like, oh, that was cool, that was interesting. But it have no meaningful impact on your life. I wonder how many of you sitting out there right now have been listening to me, what I'm saying. And it's not that you've disagreed with me. You've thought, that's pretty cool. Newness, yes, that's a wonderful idea. New creation, oh, yeah, new creation, man, that sounds really good. Redemption, oh, man, redem I need redemption. Second chances, whew, boy, do you know I need it. Boy, I would love to have a new year of of blessing and fruit. Man, I would love to have a new year where I could really actually get my priorities in line. But then you've come back and you talking to yourself or maybe it was the enemy talking to you have said, I hope somebody gets that. That's way too big for me. He has no idea that this is, this, this, this thing in my life, these issues in my life, they're so much bigger than just a decision one day. This would, be have, this would be something that, I mean, goodness gracious, if I was going to take this serious, this would, this would have to be something that would, that would be with me like day by day, a continual renewal day by day by day so that I didn't lose heart. You know, I would love to do that, Brandon, but I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get excited because I've, I've heard the good news of the gospel. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ actually did pay for your sin. He actually did. He actually literally paid for your sin, and he made a way where there seemed to be no way. I'm telling you, <clears throat> I know, I know. I was there in the ditch. I was there had ruined every relationship that I had. I was there literally in the ditch. Drug addict. I was there, and I know, I know. Now, I forget it sometimes, too, but take the plea from my deepest parts of my heart I know that God is able I know that it does not matter what you've done or what's been done to you that God is able and the message that I bring to you today isn't just a uh, another church sermon, I am giving you the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ, himself, God himself, came down here and he knew your name. He knew every hair on your head. He knew every problem, every struggle, every pain, every trial, every doubt, every worry. And he said, my child, my son, my daughter, you give that to me. Just give that to me. Come on, girl, you give that to me. I know, you said, I'm not strong enough to carry this. And, and God himself came down here. He said, I know. Give that to me. I got you. When Elijah was under the broom tree, he said, God, just kill me now. I'm all alone. Who showed up? It's Jesus. What'd he do? He didn't fuss at him. He didn't condemn him. He scooped the back of his head up and poured water in his mouth. Started a fire and cooked a cake. He said, I know, son. I know. 
Nobody knows what you're going through. Jesus does. He scooped Elijah up. He said, Elijah, I got you. I was always the one. I was always the one. Eat a little bit of this. You're right, Elijah. You're right. The journey's hard. You're right. You can't do it. But you see, through my water and my bread, you will do it. Because I will do it through you. And right after Elijah's lowest moment, wishing that God would kill him and take him out of this world, Jesus shows up on scene, pours water in his mouth gently. Jesus works to bake bread, to feed him. I see him there. I see, can you see him? I'm asking you, can you see him? Elijah had been wandering through the desert, all chapped up, weary, ready to die. And Jesus got him there feeding him little pieces of cake because it's hard for him to chew. Not too much water now. He can't take it too fast. He's weak. A little bit of water. Nurture him back. And then what did he do? Right after that lowest, most horrible place, he takes him into the cave where he shows him that it's not about all the big stuff. It's about sitting right here with me and being able to hear me when you're really quiet because the presence of God was in this whisper, the small Listen, listen, I know your troubles seem like mountains. I know that. I know that. But I speak the truth to you today. I am not telling a lie. I speak the truth today when I say there is really a Savior who took all of that, every bit of You say this one too, that one too. What about this one, that one too? And he took every single one of them. And the one that you'll have tomorrow, he stands with arms outstretched saying, I got that one too. Listen to this last verse. You said in your heart, you said, Brandon, that sounds so good, but I know I would lose heart because I just feel so condemned. It'd be like I'd have to have, I'd have to have day by day help. Or I'd lose heart. I just, I couldn't. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. The word of God says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, it's hard, man. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen. I know, man. you got to get your eyes off of that stuff. you got to look up. You remember Stephen? We had that sermon two weeks ago or so. Remember Stephen? As the world was literally crashing down on him, taking his life. It says he gazed into the heavens. And seeing the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father, he was able to say, forgive these people. They just don't see what I see. As we, not, as we look not to the things that are, uns, that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away, folks. This trial that you're in right now, it won't last. It can't. It's only one eternal thing. And his name is God. Jesus. The Father, the Holy Spirit, they're the, only, they're the only things eternal. They're the only things eternal and that which they decide is eternal. That's it. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Jesus Christ is eternal and the gospel and the hope and the redemption, the chance, the newness that he offers is forever and you will forget about it in the morning I know but you know what the Holy Spirit will remind you look to God and he will renew you every minute you say I can't I won't be able to sustain I know you won't but he will hey maybe you are Elijah right now but you just feel that neck that hand on the back of your neck you feel that warm embrace as he pulls you in. You feel that cool water going on your dry throat. 
you feel that bread, he is the bread of life and the fountain of living waters. Come to him, please. Don't delay. New years, new chance. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Give your whole life to God. You'll, you will thank me. You'll thank him. I know I do. Amen. Anybody here grateful? Man, I am so grateful. We're going to have a last song here and then uh, respond however God is leading you to. But I would say, get on your face before God. Get on your face before God. You want a new year, a better year? You want a year that is one where you really actually get your priorities in line and you walk in the newness of life and you walk in your redemption? Day by day, having hope restored, you lay all those cares at the foot of the cross. Give it to Jesus. He's strong. He can carry it, I promise. I love you guys. Amen.